So Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read only the first six verses together to start with, get the context. And so it says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so we're going to look at just three main concepts, main ideas out of this passage. The first one will be um, confession. John the Baptist makes a great confession. The second one will be depression. And the third one will be resolution. And so beginning with the first one, confession. We, are, we, are, we have to remember that John has already um, a great deal of experience with Jesus. For one, he was able to baptize Jesus. Um, Jesus, in John chapter 1, 28, it says, These things, the baptisms, were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so, Jesus was from the north in, in, in Nazareth, in the Galilee region. John was baptizing down south in the Jordan, just east of Jerusalem. So, Jesus made his way down to be baptized by John. And it's interesting that, you know, as you read through these texts, that everybody came to be baptized by John the Baptist. That all Judea, Jerusalem, everybody came out to this man, John the Baptist. He would have been a priest. His father was a priest, which we will see. But he kind of left the priesthood to follow the call of God on his life. He was a rugged guy who lived in the wilderness. He had um, a camel's hair garment. He had a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts or grasshoppers, if you will, and wild honey. Past the grasshoppers. That was good. I mean, he was just a tough guy, you know. He needs a toothpick. He just pulls off one of the legs, you know. And, and he has a simple message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everybody was drawn to John the Baptist to come and hear him preach and to be baptized by him. And, and why? Because John the Baptist had a dynamic in his ministry, a power in his message, that was lacking in Jerusalem, that they didn't have. He wasn't dressed in a priestly garment. He didn't have a temple. He was in the wilderness, but people flocked to him. And Jesus came down, and Jesus was baptized by him. John the Baptist tried to resist from baptizing him, but Jesus persisted, and, and, and John baptized him. And in Matthew chapter 3, Verses 16 and 17, I want you in your mind's eye to place yourself in this situation. You're at the Jordan right now. 
John the Baptist is in the water, and Jesus is coming into the water, and John's baptizing him. And it says, when Jesus had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And I think it was with the voice of James Earl Jones. (laughs) This is my beloved. You know, I can't do it, but you get the picture. (laughs) And as that took place, as that voice came from heaven, I think everybody present was terrified. It was kind of an awful experience, an awesome experience. It was also a magnificent, magnificent experience as well, wasn't it? So everybody was touched. John the Baptist was touched. But John also knew Jesus before that, I'm sure of it. John um, probably grew up knowing Jesus. Both John and Jesus had miraculous kind of births. Both had angelic visitations with it, with their births. You know, Zacharias was in the temple doing his priestly duties when the angel came to him and announced that he would give birth to a son, even though he and his wife Elizabeth were old, were, were of old age. Now, Mary also had an angelic visit, and I think her story kind of trumps that her son was actually going it, to be the son of God. Um, my son, his father is God. So she wins that, that kind of contest. But Mary, you know, was a relative of Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 36, this is what the angel told Mary. Indeed, Elizabeth, this is John's mother, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So therefore, after Mary had conceived um, the the miraculous virgin conception, if you will, she went to go visit Elizabeth. Luke 1, 39 through 41. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm sure that these nice Jewish mothers recited these stories to their sons. Elizabeth would put John there and she would share these things with him and, and Mary with, with Jesus. So from an early age, these boys must have had a, a sense of calling upon their lives. They must have felt a sense of destiny, uh, uh, that God had a plan for their lives. I'm sure that these boys saw each other at times growing up, especially at times of worship, because in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, His parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And so Zacharias 
being a priest, would be serving at the temple during these times. So them being relatives, I'm sure that there were family times where they got together and these boys kind of knew each other. You could imagine growing up being like Jesus' cousin, as John probably was a distant cousin, you know, if not closer, right? Growing up, they were only about six months apart in age, and so they probably played together. Could you imagine playing hide-and-seek with Jesus? You know, Jesus counting 1,001, 1,002. John, that is a stupid place to hide. 1,003, you know. (laughs) Could you imagine playing Bible trivia with Jesus? I want to be on his team. I'm sure his mother enrolled him in every fishing contest there was in the Lake of Galilee. And he won every one of them. But John needed more confirmation. He understood these stories. But he needed some confirmation that Jesus was the Christ. We say Christ, right? Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. But in the Hebrew mind, in the Jewish mind, they thought the word Mashiach. That's the word, the Hebrew word, where we get the word Messiah. And so when the the Jew said in Greek, Christos, they thought Messiah, the Messiah of Israel. And Matthew is a bridge between the Old and the New Testament. Because Matthew wrote primarily to reach his fellow Jews. That's why when you read through the the gospel according to Matthew, many times it'll say Jesus did this, and thus it was written. Jesus did this, and it fulfilled this passage of the Old Testament. Matthew was desiring to show that the prophecies concerning the Messiah of the Old Testament, were filled in Jesus Christ. He wanted the Jews to understand that Jesus was their Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. But John needed some confirmation. He gets it in John chapter 1, verse 32 through 34. It says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him, as we already read. I did not know him. He knew him, but he did not know him. He didn't know for sure that that that, that was him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John gets the confirmation that he needs. And he understands that this is the Son of God. He makes this confession that Jesus, my cousin, he used to beat me at anything we played. He's the one. He is the Son of God. John makes another um, uh, remarkable confession. In John one twenty nine. John sees him coming, and he says, Behold, points to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So not only does John understand who Jesus is, you're the Son of God, 
which was Messiah, the Messiah. But he also understands the mission of Jesus as well. He knew what the Son of God came to earth to do, to save us from our sin, to take away the sins of the world. Peter writes it like this in in 1 Peter 18 and 19. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He is the Passover lamb. You are the lamb of God. You are the one that comes and take away the sin of the world. Take away comes uh, from a Greek word, ero, which um, theirs defines as to raise up or to take upon oneself and carry what has been raised or to bear, to bear away what has been raised and to carry on. So do you get the idea? Jesus came on a mission to take away the sin of the world, to, to lift up the sin off of all of us. You personally, Jesus came to lift the sin off of your life and to put it upon himself, to bear it himself and to carry it away. Where did he carry it? To the cross. That's where we should have been hanging. Because it was our sin that drove Jesus to the cross. It was our sin that Jesus died for. He takes away our sin. He lifts it off of us and carries it to the cross to pay the penalty that we should have suffered. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid the price. Jesus himself said it like this in Matthew twenty twenty eight: Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So John the Baptist, he makes this great confession. You are the Son of God, the Messiah. He understands that you're the Lamb of God. You came on a mission to take away the sin of the world. But then, now John is in this state of depression. From a spiritual mountain peak to a dark valley. Again, Matthew eleven two and 3. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Did I miss something? Did I get it wrong? We used to have a, what well, we still do, I got saved in the 80s and Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, we would go up to Twin Peaks Conference Center for, you know, young adult conferences. And one year, it was during the summer, I remember, and we were overlooking the valley. We got to the edge, you know, and I don't know if you've been up to Twin Peaks, but you can look down, and there's the valley. And we were looking down into the valley, and it was just full of smog. You really couldn't see anything, right? We were up above the smog level in the clear blue sky, looking down at this miserable kind of thing down below. <laughs> and I had this epiphany. 
that we were having this great experience up on the mountain. But we were going to leave the next day to drive down into the spiritual fog. That there are mountaintop experiences in Christianity, but there are also valley experiences in, in Christianity. And now, John the Baptist, he's experiencing a valley, a darkness. John the Baptist is in prison. How did he get there? He got there for doing his job. He got in prison for standing up for the truth. In Matthew 14, verses 3 and 4, gives us the reason for he... For Herod had laid hold of John, bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So he's put in prison simply for fulfilling the call of God on his life. He's in this deep valley for doing God's will. He is actually now suffering for righteousness' sake. And Jesus tells John's messengers, 11 verses 4 and 5 again, Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What Jesus was saying is, you got it right, John. I'm, I'm he. I'm the one. I'm the son of God. You got it right. You got it right. I, I'm on a mission. These are, what Jesus said in, these, in, this, in this passage are, it comes from two passages out of the book of Isaiah, which are known to be messianic passages. These messianic passages in the Old Testament are prophetic things that the Messiah would do when he comes, right? And the Jews, they understood that. John would understand these messianic passages. So the first one comes out of Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, and you'll see this resemblance compared to the words of Jesus. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer. I'm, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah. And the tongue of the dumb sing, for the waters shall burst, burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then it also comes from Isaiah 61 verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. That's what Jesus said. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. But now listen to this. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus left that off. He didn't quote that to John's messengers. Where was John? Now you see why. John thought, and I'm sure that he expected his Messiah, his cousin, if you will, to come and deliver him out of prison. 
He was doing the rest of the Messiah things. And he hoped that he would do this Messiah thing. But he didn't come. Day after day, he expected maybe Jesus to come and deliver him. And day after day, you know, his expectation wasn't fulfilled. And therefore, discouragement set in. Maybe disillusionment to the point of maybe depression and ultimately doubt. Are you the coming one? Doubt was there. It led to doubt. There are things in our lives that have this effect. Unfulfilled expectations. Has anybody ever had an unfulfilled expectation? A couple of us. How about a relationship disappointment? Has anybody ever let... (laughs) That was his wife hitting it. <laughs> Maybe a church leader even let you down. People, we, we're good at that, aren't we? We can let anybody down, no problem. We don't even have to try sometimes. Maybe a parent isn't fulfilling their parental duty. You know, maybe you were blessed. With good parents, maybe you aren't. And you're looking at those blessed with good parents and you're wondering why you didn't have one, you know. Maybe a child is wayward. You've raised that child to know Jesus and somehow he's not walking with the Lord right now. And you're wondering, what, what did I do wrong? And there's a discouragement that can set in. Maybe there was a romantic um, expectation that went unfulfilled. Maybe you were interested in somebody and it wasn't reciprocated. Anybody ever experience that? I'm married to a lovely woman now, but back in the 80s I had a home fellowship and a couple of Swedish girls started coming to the home Bible study. And, I'm, and they started multiplying. Uh, I mean, really, um, these were Christian ones and then they started inviting and there was a whole network of Swedish au pairs, nannies and all of a sudden we had like 40 Swedish girls coming to our home fellowship. But there was this one that I was sure that she was my wife. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, it had a little accent, you know, and so thank you God for bringing my wife. Oh, you know, me, Tarzan, you, Jane. (laughs) So I told her. I pursued her. And she shut me down. Can you believe that? (laughs) Oh, she missed out on all this. (laughs) She could have, you know. The God of this world had blinded her eyes. Well, I was persistent. One rejection wasn't enough for me. So I tried again. She shot me down. But that wasn't enough. 
became a missionary. I was living in Europe. She went back to Sweden. So I traveled all the way to Sweden. Yeah, I'm a sucker for punishment, you know? Just to be rejected the third time to make sure. I thought the third time's a charm, right? No, it wasn't. But, you know, even in that rejection, I, I thank God because I know why. God had another plan. God had a different plan. And I have a beautiful wife who loves me. We've been married in March. It'll be 25 years. Yeah. And we've raised three beautiful children together. And, and we've served, you know, and, and influenced and touched a lot of people together as a team. So God has a plan, right? Unexpected trials. You go to the doctor. The doctor sits you down, and he says the C word. You know, when I go to the doctor and I get blood work, whatever, I, I, I look at the results, and I just rejoice if it's good news. Because, you know, I want to, I don't want to take for granted my health. Because I've, I've known other people who have gone to the doctor and then didn't get the good news. And I know the, the trial that they go through, unexpected. You ever lose a job? I lost my job a week before Christmas. Just to be clear, I don't work here. I, wasn't, I'm not, uh, I just serve here. I had another job. <laughs> had, had, had another job. <laughs> Take all the Christmas presents back. You know, maybe you got you became a Christian. You were on fire, and now the the excitement's waning. The romantic kind of experience is now giving way to where you have to live by faith. The emotional fervor that you once had, the emotion part is gone, and you're having to learn. Like the rest of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you're having to learn that we have to walk by faith. It's not by what we feel. Maybe you fell into sin. You once had victory and you compromised. You opened the door a little bit and and, and the devil got in there and now you just fell back into the same bondage. A lot of things happen in the Christian life to people, good people. The righteous will suffer. You will suffer. And you need to expect it. John finds himself in prison, wondering, doubting. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Christ does not seem to be doing what we think he ought to. I know I gave him the list and he's not fulfilling it. We have our ideas as to what Christianity is and our Lord does not seem to be saying the same thing so we take offense at it because he does not tally with our preconceived notions and ideas. He is not going to fulfill your expectations. He wants you to embrace the expectations that he has for you. You are not going to be able to get God 
to change and do things the way you want. You're not going to be able to make God into your own image. God creates us in his image. And he makes us into what he wants us to be, not what we think we ought to be. And we need to get in line and submit to him and his word and accept what comes our way. So John has confession down to depression. But finally he receives resolution. Through, through everything life throws at us, we can resolve in our hearts to follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus said to him, the last verse of our text, in verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Yes, I am the one. I'm, you didn't get it wrong. I, you got it right. Your confession about me is correct. I'm doing all these things. I'm fulfilling the messianic thing. I am the Messiah. Blessed are you, John, if you're not offended because of me. Offended, scandalizo in the Greek, and it means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall or to be a stumbling block. So what Jesus is saying Blessed are you, John, if you are not stumbled by my methods. Blessed are you, John, if you're not stumbled by the way I do things. Blessed are you, John, when you can be content in a relationship with me when I do not fulfill fulfill your expectations. When I do not come and set you out of prison, are you going to be okay with that? Will I still be your Messiah? Blessed are you when you can still believe in me and walk with me in the midst of tough things in your life. And personally, I believe that this is all John needed to hear. I believe he received the resolve he needed that ultimately would give him the strength to go through that trial which culminated in his death. Matthew 14, 10. He never got out of prison. Herod sent and had John beheaded in prison. Hmm. Yes. Sometimes the Christian life, sometimes fulfilling God's will, can lead to tremendous suffering. Trial. But blessed are we when we can accept it. When we're not stumbled by the way God does things. God desires to give us the resolve in our life today to be able to go through whatever it is that we're going through. To be able to face the uh, um, adversity and to make it through. I'll give you an example in closing. When Jesus in Matthew 6 was teaching the people concerning the Lord's Supper, he made this comment, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people misunderstood it. They thought that 
they literally had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. <laughs> they took it literal, and, and Jesus was, it was using this as a spiritual thing, kind of thing. So the, it says in John 6, 60 and 61, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Does this scandalizo you? Does this stumble you? And the teaching, this teaching of Jesus offended people, stumbled many of the people. John six sixty six. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with them no more. It was a tough teaching. I'll give them that. But God will confront us with touch, tough teachings. You know, and, and it's our duty as Christians is to accept those tough teachings. Not to be stumbled at those things. But to accept them. And for us to be transformed by them. Rather than trying to transform the Bible to fit your preconceived idea of what it should say to you. These guys were offended. They were stumbled. And they walked away. Everybody, everybody has a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. And when you're in these situations, it will be your choice. Am I going to choose to continue to walk with Jesus? Or has this got me to the point where I'm going to choose to walk away from him? Jesus, in John six sixty seven said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And then listen to Peter's words in verse 68. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So here, in closing, whatever you are going through today. God can give you the resolve as he gave to John. The the determination to make it through. You know, in the valley, it gets pretty dark. Sun can't get down there sometimes. There's no light. In the midst of a storm, you can't see the sun. You can't see the light. It blocks the light. You can't, there's a lot of things that storms and valleys bring in our lives so that we can't see things clearly. But this is one thing. I want you to remember this. There's one thing that you can always see. No matter where, what you're going through, where, you're, where, you, where you are, there's one thing that is always visible to you. And that's Jesus Casting your eyes upon Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the finisher of your faith. You can always look up, no matter what what the situation, you can always look up and you can cast your eyes upon Jesus. When doubt comes into your mind, does God really love you? Look at Jesus. We're going to partake of communion, the cross. 
You ever doubt God's love for you? Look at the cross. Jesus died for you. And the motivation for him to die for you because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to hang on the cross so you don't have to. He loves you. And as you look at Jesus, I am confident that you will receive the resolve that you'll receive the steadfastness that you need, that you'll receive perseverance that you need, that you will receive a spiritual tenacity that will keep you motivated, keep you moving forward, reaching forward to those things which are ahead so that you are not like one of the other people that will turn and walk away and follow Jesus no more. He is the Messiah. He doesn't do things the way we do them. Accept his ways. And let him strengthen your heart so that you can keep going, that you can continue to fight the good fight of faith.